Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm up, lovely low. Welcome to Wolfie Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by Tony Baddock. He does a great job out here in the great state of Wisconsin with 620 WTMJ. And I already made a mistake. I said I was in lovely Las Vegas. I am actually in the great state of Wisconsin. Appleton, to be exact. Unfortunately, wound up having to come back for a little bit of a family emergency, but with that said, I am coming at you guys once again, and with Tony, he is actually an Atlanta Braves fan, so even though he works out there in the great state of Wisconsin, going to be talking a lot about the Atlanta Braves, going to be talking about the National League East and the wild card races as well, going to be hitting a little bit on the National League wild card and the divisional race in general, just going to be taking a look at the entirety of the National League, so we're going to have a great chat there with Tony, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys a signing total on every game on the betting board. For this Friday, and a little something I like to call touch them all, 
First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways to be able to throw these in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a fun day of baseball on Thursday. It wasn't necessarily a big slate, but it was one that if you wound up taking unders on it, you wound up coming out quite well. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. If you wound up tailing the New York Post play of the day, for one, it didn't require a lot of thought because fading the Baltimore Orioles typically is pretty profitable, but it wound up being profitable for you. 6-0, the Kansas City Royals are able to get the job done against the Baltimore Orioles. And for Mr. Carlos Hernandez, this is a guy that you probably want to be putting on your pitchers of list. He has now won for the Kansas City Royals each out of his last five starts. If you take a look in general, the Kansas City Royals are now 8-1 and one in his last nine starts. He wound up delivering a gem in this one, six scoreless innings. From there, Domingo Tapia, two scoreless innings, and Scott Barlow, a scoreless inning for the Royals. They're in the top seven in regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break and got a pair of home runs in this one. In the ninth inning, Hunter Dozier was able to get his 11th home run of the season. That comes off of Manny Barreda. And then John Means, well, he meant quite a bit of business. He gave up two runs over the course of seven innings, but he did also give up a home run in the first inning to Nicky Lopez, his second home run of the season. And for the Baltimore Orioles, three hits in this one. Absolutely nothing doing for them. Not a lot doing for the Philadelphia Phillies either. A team that has been significantly better at home than they have been on the road. And as we know, the Colorado Rockies, they have not been great on the road. They are now 19-50 and on the road overall this year. They began the year 6-33. and So they're actually now 13-17 and in their last three games, which is a tad bit more respectable. They take down the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 4-3. For the Rockies, they were able to get a relatively solid start out of Antonio Sensatello. Here in the back half of the season, has looked very solid. Gave up two runs over the course of six innings. Did give up a home run in the first inning to Bryce Harper, his 30th home run season. But then from there, Bullpen was able to do their job. Carlos Estevez wound up giving up a run for a second straight day, but was able to get a save, giving up one run over the course of his inning. Tyler Kinley, Lucas Gilbreth, both give you a scoreless inning. And for the Colorado Rockies, pair of home runs in this one. Samuel Yurt, along with Ryan McMahon, both go deep. Both go deep off of Ian Kennedy, who ever since coming over from the Texas Rangers, a north of 6 ERA, McMahon is 22nd home run season, for Hilliard is 10th, and for Ranger Suarez, a very good start from him winds up getting wasted. Gives up one run over the course of six innings. He's got a buck 38 ERA. He has actually been very good for the Philadelphia Phillies. Jose Alvarado, Hector Neres from there, both give you scoreless innings, but for Kennedy, gives up three runs in two-thirds of an inning, and then J.D. Hammer has to get the final out of the ninth inning, so that was bad for a Philadelphia Phillies team that's looking to claw their way back into that National League East race. It was also bad for the New York Metropolitans who tried to claw their way back into the National League East race. They wind up losing by a count of 3-2. to The Mets get a run in the first, they get a run in the third, and then absolutely nothing else as Asu Cesardo, his second start out of, I believe now, eight with the Miami Marlins, in which he gave up fewer than three runs, giving up two runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. He was taken deep by the Mets, Mr. Javi Baez, his 29th home run season, but past that, was really able to pitch solid. And for Marcus Stroman, this was a solid start from him. Gives up one run over the course of six and a third innings, Brad Ann. He winds up giving up an unearned run in two-thirds of an inning. He was a little bit of a cast-off with the Toronto Blue Jays and the unearned run by his own error, so there's that. And Jersich Familia, 
Spanish for blown save winds up giving up a home run in the eighth that wound up costing the team. Jazz Chislam was able to get his 15th home run of the season. And for the Miami Marlins bullpen, it was lights out. Got his scoreless inning out of Anthony Bass and Dylan Floro. Anthony Bender was able to give you two-thirds of an inning scoreless. And Richard Blyer and Zach Pop both gave you an out out of the bullpen. The Cleveland Indians, they were relatively lights out in this one as well. 4-1, to one, they take down the Minnesota Twins. Andrew Elbers, a good story. He wanted pitching in the MPB last year. A couple years ago, he was in the KBO. Not a great pitcher. He gives up three runs. Two homers over the course of four innings going deep for the Cleveland Indians. Jose Ramirez, he would actually go deep off of Justin Garza earlier in the game, his 33rd home run season. But then you had Frame Reyes, his 28th of the campaign, and Oscar Barcado, his fourth. Those both came off of Elbers. And for Ralph Garza, gives up that solo run to Mr. Jose Ramirez. One run given up over the course of his inning. Luke Farrell, now has a buck 56 ERA, two scoreless innings. And Danny Colombe was able to give you a scoreless inning, but Really, the only form of offense for the Minnesota Twins, Miguel Sano, 26th home run season. Cal Quantrill's now given up one run or fewer in seven out of his last 10 starts, giving up one run in 72 thirds innings. Blake Parker was able to give you an out of the bullpen, and Emmanuel Classe lowers his ERA to a buck 48. He was able to give you a scoreless inning as the Cleveland Indians now 69 and 69. Insert your jokes here. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays absolutely rocking and rolling, and the New York Yankees doing the absolute opposite. 6-2, the Toronto Blue Jays were able to get it done against the Yankees, and it was behind the bat of Mr. Vlad Guerrero Jr. Gets his 42nd home run season as... It was the Toronto Blue Jays who wound up being able to get a trio of home runs in this one. Randall Gritchick was able to get his 22nd. That comes off of Nestor Cortez, and Cortez also serves up the 22nd of the season to Bo Bichette. As for Cortez, he gives up those two home runs, but they were both just solo shots. Gave up two runs over the course of six innings, so he did his job. Andrew Heaney, he winds up giving up that home run to Vlad Guerrero Jr. Two runs given up in an inning. In a bullpen roll, Andrew Heaney has an ERA of right around nine. Sal Romano, he winds up giving up one run in his two-thirds of an inning. He takes the L and Wandy Peralta one in a third innings. Gives up an underrun as he was hurt by an error by Tether Wade and the Yankees' bats actually woke up Ted in this one. They got a trio of home runs as it was Mr. Jose Barrios giving up a home run to Anthony Rizzo his 19th of the season and Nate Pearson has not looked great for the Blue Jays as he gave up a pair of home runs in this one. Gary Sanchez is 21st of the season and Luke Voigt is 9th but fortunately for him both were solo shots. He gave up those two solo shots in the ninth inning but was able to close it out. Tim Mazza gives you a scoreless inning and Joaquin Soria was able to give you an out of the bullpen as Jose Barrios earns a W. He's now 11 and 7, giving up two runs over the course of six and two thirds innings. And for the New York Yankees, you take a look at the wild card picture right now, and well, they are clinging to dear life by a half a game for that second wild card spot against the Toronto Blue Jays. The Seattle Mariners and Oakland A's, they are both two games back. And speaking of those A's, they wind up being able to get a W over the Chicago White Sox by a count of three to one for the White Sox. This was not what you were expecting from them as they wind up trotting out there. A little bit of a B team, Daniel Mendick. You wind up having Billy Hamilton along Sebi Valea who wind up getting the start in this one. But you worry about have for the White Sox. Rinaldo Lopez give you a not necessarily terrible start. He gives up three runs over the course of five innings, but only one of which was earned. Problem is, he was the guy that created the error that wound up leading to those two unearned runs. Ryan Burr. Aaron Bummer, Ryan Tapera from there, all give you a scoreless setting. And for the Oakland A's, Shamanea, 
who has been very rocky recently, giving up at least three runs and I believe four out of his last five starts. He gave up just one run over the course of seven innings. Sergio Romo along to Andrew Chafin both give you a scoreless inning from there. The Oakland A's did not wind up getting any homers and went just one of eight with men in scoring position, but Ayers certainly wound up hurting the White Sox in this one. The St. Louis Cardinals benefited from the fact that they were able to get some tremendous pitching to be able to get a 2-1 to win over the LA Dodgers, who are now two and a half games back of the San Francisco Giants in the race in the National League West. And for the Dodgers, they have played just four out of their last 23 games over the total as for the Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin winds up making his first start in about a month and a half. His last start had wound up coming on July 30th. He winds up going three innings, gave up one run in the process, has now given up fewer than two runs in all but two of his appearances so far this year. Problem is, he's went north of four innings just twice. Corey Knable from there gives you a scoreless setting. Alex Vesia, Joe Kelly, Kenley Jansen all give you a scoreless setting. Phil Bickford wound up giving up the big hit of the game as St. Louis was able to get a home run off the bat of Tyler O'Neill off of him. 25th home run season wound up being the difference as the Woodford, Jake Woodford, gives up one run over the course of four innings, but Alex Reyes winds up in his new role of not closing, giving you two scoreless innings. He got the W. TJ McFarland, Luis Garcia combined for two scoreless innings, and then Giovanni Gallegos was able to give you a scoreless inning to be able to close things out. And then the Washington Nationals and the Atlanta Braves wind up playing in a game that goes to extra innings. And the Braves were able to get the job done by a count of 7-6 as things got a little bit airy because the Washington Nationals were able to push this game to extra innings due to a fielding error. So that was a little bit of a calamity. You wound up seeing the Atlanta Braves go off for five different home runs as Stephen Vogt wound up going deep not once but twice for the team. For vote, those are home runs number six and seven on the campaign. Freddie Freeman, his 29th. You wind up getting Ore Soler, his 23rd home run season. And Adam Duvall is 34th, as Mason Thompson did not have the best name for the Washington Nationals. He wound up giving up a pair of those, giving up two solo runs over the course of his two innings. Eric Fetty Wap gives up four runs over the course of six innings, giving up three home runs in the process. Sam Clay does not give you enough, but he doesn't give up any runs either. And then Wonder, I swear this guy sucks. Gives up the unearned run in the 10th inning. So he goes one and two thirds innings, giving that up. And for the Washington Nationals, a lot of missed opportunities. Luis Garcia was able to go deep off of Richard Rodriguez, his fourth home run season. But the team goes four of 18 with men in scoring position. As for the Atlanta Braves, Ozzy Albies wound up committing a pair of errors that pretty much pushed his game to extras. As Uscott, you know you know what? Wasn't great. Wasn't bad. Gives up two runs over the course of five innings from there. A.J. Minter, Luke Jackson, they combine for an inning. They give up two runs in the process. Jesse Chavez, Tyler Madsik, they combine to give you three outs. They don't give up a run. Will Smith gets jiggy with it along with Richard Rodriguez. Both of these guys give up a run in their inning, but Jacob Webb able to pitch a good 10th inning that allows the Atlanta Braves to be able to get the W, extend their lead out there in the National League East. And if you're taking a look at baseball in general, we wound up seeing a whole gob ton of unders yesterday, and that means that over the last three days, unders have hit at a clip of a little bit over 55%. 208 and 169 is the lead unders have on overs. Favorites in this time span, 237 and 158. They've been drying up a little bit, but still having a clip of 60%. Home teams, not necessarily doing so well. 205 and 195, so hitting a little bit over 51%. Overall, in the last seven days, they're hitting at approximately 51% at 49 and 47 favorites in this time span. 
47 and 46. So dogs have been barking over the last three days. And in this time span, unders. 49 of them, overs 43, so we've seen about 53% of games the last seven days go under. We had a nice little over binge earlier in the week, and then, well, on Thursday, it wound up going way under, and overall for the season, unders are hitting at a 50.8% clip. These bookmakers are good at their job. They would prefer to see a couple more unders and overs, so they're getting the results that they want. 1,012 unders and 981 overs overall for the year. If you're looking at favorites for the season, they're hitting at a 59.4% clip according to covers at 1,229 and 840. Meanwhile, home teams, 1,135 and 955, hitting at a rate of 54.3%. We wrapped up the recap by looking at the Atlanta Braves, so let's pick up with that with our good buddy Tony Baddock of 620 WTMJ. Going to be taking a look at the National League playoff picture. Going to be talking about this crazy race out there in the National League East, and so much more. That's coming up right here on the Baseball Winning Podcast with myself, Greg Duke Peterson, right here on the other side, live from the great state of Wisconsin, by the way, something I didn't think I'd be saying too much of these next few weeks. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Actually, we're not out here in lovely Las Vegas. I forgot I had to make an emergency trip to Appleton, Wisconsin. So we've got that going on. And what else we've got going on right now is a man that I went to college with joining me right here on the podcast. He does terrific work over there of 620 WTMJ. So we're actually about as close to each other as we've ever been for one of these interviews on this podcast as he does a great job over there covering a little bit of everything. News, sports, you name it, he does it. And 620 WTMJ, they cover the Milwaukee Brewers very intently. They're the official flagship of the Milwaukee Bucks, Green Bay Packers, list goes on and on. So they do it all out there in the great state of Wisconsin. And to be able to follow Tony Bedock on Twitter, that is at the first letter of his first name is last name and then 10. So T Bedock 10, I will spell that out for you. T B E T T A C K and then the number 10. And Tony, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Happy to be here again, Greg. Always happy to have you aboard. And I know that even though you're out here in the great state of Wisconsin, you're an Atlanta Braves fan. And I know that you're liking what you're seeing out of them right now. And I really do think that out of all the teams that wanted making acquisitions at the trade deadline, some of the ones that the Braves made were some of the most under the radar, and yet they've proven to be some of the most impactful because you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Jorge Soler. Ever since the beginning of the month of July, he's had 15 home runs going into the game yesterday, so he's been able to do a good job. You take a look at Adam Duvall, 33 home runs very silently for this team. And then Richard Rodriguez has shored up a bullpen that you can tell it's just not quite the same that it was last year, but it seems to be improving as the season has gone along and the Braves have been able to put some separation between they and the Phillies and the Mets. Yeah, and I really got to give a lot of credit to general manager Alex Anthopoulos. A lot of the moves he made mentioned they're under the radar acquisitions. They didn't go out and get the big bats or the big name on the mound that you might expect at a trade deadline blockbuster, given where the Braves were at the time. But they've silently put together a pretty good team, retooling their outfield with Duvall and Soler. Both have been phenomenal for them since putting on a Braves uniform and then adding a little bit of help to the bullpen. Bullpen's still a pretty big issue for Atlanta. I mean, Will Smith's up there in league leaders with say, 
games, but you just don't quite feel confident. It's never an easy three outs in the ninth inning there. Chris Martin's on the DL right now. You hopefully have him return to form when they get him back here at the home stretch. But you, you got to really appreciate what Anthopoulos has done and really without giving up any big name prospects. It was kind of they were towing that line when the trade deadline was here. I mean, they really gave you nothing to believe that they would put together a run here in the second half of the season and look where they are now. You also have to look at the division too. has been a little bit of a floundering Phillies team, a Mets team that hasn't met expectations either. So that's really helped in that regard. But as far as where they are right now, you got to really appreciate it here is where over a weekend to September. I agree with you. And I think the big thing for the Atlanta Braves is they've been able to win on the road. The Philadelphia Phillies, 32 and 40 on the road this year. The Mets, a ghastly awful 29 and 43 on the road going into Thursday evening and the Braves 39 and 32. Meanwhile, they're just 34 and 33 at home. I think a little bit of that has to do with the schedule itself, but I think that that's big. And what else is big is that Ian Anderson is back. We're going to be seeing him on the bump on Friday against the Miami Marlins. Who the Marlins are going to be trotting out their Trevor Rogers. It's going to be fascinating to see what they wind up getting there. But I think that if the Braves are both going to make the postseason and be able to make a run in the postseason, they do need Ian Anderson to be fully healthy because among the projected teams to be able to make the postseason among the division winners, I feel like the Braves might be weakest in that regard because Charlie Morton has been able to give you quite a bit, but at the same time, outside of that, it has been quite a few question marks. Max Fried has been relatively solid, but he'll throw in their clunker here and there, and getting back Ian Anderson I think is very, very crucial, and not only getting back Anderson, but getting back Anderson at what he wound up looking like towards the beginning of this year and obviously into the 2020 season. Yeah, and if you remember the kind of performances Anderson turned in in last year's postseason, I mean, considering he was a rookie with only a handful of starts at the time, you really, really admire his moxie and the calm demeanor that he has on the mound. So getting his presence back and sort of fortifying that rotation, which you're absolutely going to need because the Braves team, they rely on the long ball a lot. That's not necessarily going to translate to postseason success, so you're going to really need that pitching to shore up. And getting Anderson back, he's been in the spot before. He pitched well in the NLDS game wildcard series against the Reds. He also pitched well against the Dodgers, turned in a couple without having that experience. So, I mean, you look at the staff, it's outside of Charlie Morton, fairly young, and he's really given you that experience and can show that he can win on the big stage. So his presence getting back into that rotation will be huge for Atlanta as we hit the home stretch. I do agree with you, as we do have Tony Bedock of 620 WTMJ in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, joining me on the podcast. And when you take a look at this National League postseason picture in general, if the season were to end today, it does look like it would probably be the Milwaukee Brewers going up against the Atlanta Braves, which I think that that would be very fascinating. And when you take a look at things, I think that the Brewers would be getting a little bit of a better draw than they could get if they would actually wind up overtaking a team like the San Francisco Giants or the LA Dodgers because whoever winds up coming out of that one-game playoff, whether it be the Giants or the Dodgers, because I just don't think if the Padres or the Reds wind up making it that they're going to be able to win that one game. That would be certainly not a good reward for being able to win your division. Same goes for the Atlanta Braves as well. I think that the Braves would be much more content to see the Milwaukee Brewers rather than a team with currently 90 wins in the Giants and or the Dodgers who wound up winning it all last season. And I take a look at just the way that that's shaking out in general. And 
I think that the big intrigue when it comes to the National League postseason race is no doubt that second wild card, but at the same time, what's going to be happening out west with the Giants out two and a half games up on the Dodgers? Yeah, it's really fascinating. I can't really remember a time where we've had a situation play out like this. I mean, the Giants right now just two games above the LA Dodgers as we speak right now. It's kind of a tough draw if you're in the NL Western Division. And then you've got the Brewers who are right there behind San Francisco for that top seed. It's rare where you might not really feel too inclined to overtake them. And I mean, obviously you get home field advantage throughout the playoffs, but they've got a pretty good spot. You like how you match up. I mean, Milwaukee with that three-headed monster in that rotation is going to match up well with anybody, but they definitely get a little bit of a slightly easier draw with the Atlanta Braves. And of course, by winning your division, you don't have to worry about that one game wild card, which I do think that the Dodgers and or Giants would be fairly inclined to take care of the Padres. You look at the NL East team still fighting for a chance for that second wild card spot. They're almost better off getting in just where they are right now with the division, because if you're the Mets, you still have to climb over St. Louis and Cincinnati, as well as the Philadelphia Phillies. So it's a fascinating race and one where a couple of these divisions like the NL Central's already decided really kind of piquing that interest and that's really the reason why they added that second wild card. Yeah, and I am absolutely not sold at all that the San Diego Padres <laughs> are going to be able to get that second wild card because their upcoming schedule, three games on the road against the LA Dodgers, four games on the road against the San Francisco Giants, three games on the road against the St. Louis Cardinals, Three games at home against the San Francisco Giants. Three games at home against the Atlanta Braves. Three games on the road against the LA Dodgers. And then they wrap things up with three games on the road against the San Francisco Giants. They literally do not play a sub-500 game (laughs) the rest of the year. Meanwhile, you've got the Cincinnati Reds. And yeah, they're going to have to play against a couple above 500 teams. But at the same time, they got like the Pittsburgh Pirates on their schedule and everything like that. And I just take a look at the way that the Padres have completely burnt through their bullpen, the way that the offense has not been able to produce being in the bottom two in the National League in runs per game ever since the beginning of the month of August. And I think it's just curtains on them, even though right now, if the season were to end today, they make the postseason. I have zero faith that they're going to be able to even go 500 in the rest of this slate. Yeah, you really can make the argument they do have the toughest remaining schedule out of anybody in the majors, while the Cincinnati Reds, they're looking at maybe the more favorable schedule as are the Philadelphia Phillies, which uh, you can't really put out a question. I mean, the Braves lead right now in that NL East, very narrow. The Mets have a more difficult schedule than the Phillies do. So it's really going to come down to, and you'd like it too in the September uh, divisional matchups, uh, pitting these teams against one another, really having them show it on the field. As far as the Padres go, yeah, it's a daunting task, what they're going to have to overcome. And it'll be a good test too for them. I mean, if they are able to overcome it, you got plenty of opportunities against your division leading Giants. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, do you think that this is going to be a really great race to watch moving forward because the St. Louis Cardinals are three games out and you being a Braves fan, myself being a Brewers fan, we know this. <laughs> the St. Louis Cardinals are sort of like the villain from that slasher film that it feels like you've killed them eight times and yet they just keep coming back and as you are sprinting away from said slasher villain, as they are walking, they are gaining ground on you. How? Nobody knows. As we do have Tony Badock joining me on the podcast. The good news is When it comes to the American League, I feel like this is a little bit more set in stone right now. Obviously, the wild card out there is up for grabs. But when you take a look at the American League East, we thought that this would be a great race. And the Tampa Bay Rays have just run and hide with this thing. They have been absolutely amazing. Now, they're going to be sending Michael Walker to the mound on Friday, which that's not necessarily what you want if you're the Tampa Bay Rays. But I take a look at them and... I do feel like they're the best team in the American League. Maybe not talent-wise, but the way that they are performing right now, I put them ahead of the likes of the Chicago White Sox, along with 
the Houston Astros. With the Astros, I feel like they might have the most firepower because you just look up and down that lineup. You get back Alex Bregman. That is very rock solid. But I just take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, and this is a team that they really know their job. And if I were to pick a team to right now make the World Series from the American League, I would have to go with the team with the best record in the Tampa Bay Rays just because they do such a good job of being able to execute, come up with those timely hits, and the pitching is just always rock solid. And again, it's a team that's been there before. I mean, look at last year. Look at the history that this team has. It doesn't seem to matter who's filling in because they are a more managed payroll. They've got guys that can step up. I mean, Randy Arena is one of my favorite players. He really emerged on the scene uh, last year. caught my attention. You've got Austin Meadows, who's a big slugger as well. The pitching staff is there. It's good seeing Tampa be able to compete and step on top of the higher payroll, such as Boston and the Yankees. Another team I'll be interested to see with the White Sox, too. A lot of young talent there. Fun team to watch as well. If it holds true as it stands right now between Houston and the White Sox, that's going to be one of my most intriguing series, uh, either league in the AL or NL, if the play- when the playoffs start. I agree with you. I do think that that would be a very intriguing series. And Tony, what else I think is just very intriguing in general is that you're a man that you work over there with 620 WTMJ out there in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yet you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. We're doing this <laughs> just before the first game of the NFL season. So I know that you're getting prepped for that. I know that you're going to be rooting hard for your Atlanta Braves. And yet you're going to be covering the Milwaukee Brewers as well. It looks like both of those teams are going to be in the postseason. Going to be a lot of fun to watch that. And I know that you do a lot of things in general. So love the good people at home. Know what's all going on with you over there at 620 WTMJ and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, covering it all at WTMJ News Sports, especially this time of year. The Packers season kicks off. Brewers season hits the home stretch. And uh, we're just coming off a Bucks championship. So it never ends around here. You can find me on Twitter at tbetock, B-E-T-T-A-C-K, one zero. That's my main uh, social media that I follow. So you'll get a variety. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully when people wind up seeing this in the morning, they won't be seeing a bunch of sob tweets about the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys and hopefully things wind up going well there. But Tony always makes things go well whenever he joins this podcast. Does a great job over there with 620 WTMJ. Covers a little bit of everything and does so also well. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday and a little something you like to call Touch Them All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Greenville, Wisconsin for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always weird having a change from Las Vegas, Nevada, but it is always great to have on a fellow Wisconsinite. It's Tony Bedock. Does terrific work over there with 620 WTMJ as you heard. A big Atlanta Braves fan and a man that keeps up with a little bit of everything. Join me in the last segment, so a big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Friday. And a little something you like to call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1 just to let you in behind the curtain because I did have to wind up going to Wisconsin via a little bit of family emergency. I am recording this a little bit earlier than normal, so you might see a tad bit more fluctuation with some of these games that you would typically see, but seems like we've actually got some relatively solid pitching matchups, which is 
something that is very good. And if there are changes, obviously they will be noted on the spreadsheet on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 and going in Las Vegas rotation order, which means that we'll go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. So we do start with 901-902 on the betting board. The matinee game between the San Francisco Giants and the road faceoff against the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks is going to be going for the Cubbies. Good old to be determined is going to be on the bump for the San Francisco Giants. For the Giants, won't be surprised if this is something like Sammy Long coming in for a couple innings. Maybe you wind up giving a couple innings in this spot to someone like Zach Liddell who's been a little bit more stretched out, but it's going to be probably a host of different guys. I know that Jose Quintana is someone that could be used on a little bit of long relief as well. And then you take a look at Kyle Hendricks and wind blowing out is typically not good for Kyle Hendricks. And we have seen throughout his career him be typically much better in Wrigley Field than on the road. Complete opposite this year. 56 home ERA, 373 road ERA. In 15 home starts, he's allowed 17 home runs in 81 innings on the road. It's still not great, but at the same time, it is a tad bit better, giving up 12 bombs in 79 and two-thirds innings. Opponents starting at 297 off of them, so that is rough. And you take a look at the San Francisco Giants team. For one, you do have a guy named Darren Ruff, and he and so many others have just hit between 13 to 22 home runs. Mikey Stromsky, Brandon Bell, Ruff, who I was mentioning a little bit earlier, Austin Dickerson, Lamont Wade, Wilmer Flores, Buster Posey, all these guys between 13 and 22 home runs, and then you throw in there Chris Bryant, who does a great job of being a reach base for this team. Buster Posey has a 394 on base, Brandon Crawford sitting at 295, so this team does such a good job of being able to platoon. And with the Giants, though they are going to be trotting out their bullpen game, I'm still going to be sending them as a relatively sizable favorite because with the San Francisco Giants bullpen, you've got so many guys with a sub-3 ERA. Caleb Barger is right around a buck 35 ERA. He's fresh off the injured list. Zach Liddell, Dominique Leone, these guys have been good. Jarlon Garcia, Sable give you multiple innings. He's got a 2-3 ERA. And for the Chicago Cubs, well, you no longer have Andrew Chafin. You no longer have Ryan Tapera, which means that you're going to be looking to guys like Dylan Maples, who's actually pretty solid. Manuel Rodriguez has been able to give you right around a 3-4-ish ERA, but these guys aren't as trustworthy as they were before now. I will say, Rafael Ortega, who has been in and out of the fold recently for this Cubs team, along with Frank Schwindel, they've been able to do a great job. Schwindel, six home runs over the last two weeks for this bunch. Rafael Ortega's hitting a 290 and for Schwindel, hitting right around a 330. Ian Happ has really been able to pick it up as well. He deserves a little bit of credit because he now has 21 home runs so far this year. He entered into the month of August having like 10 for the season. So he's really been able to do a nice job there ever since the beginning of the month of August, hitting nearly a 300. So do give him a little bit of credit. But he, along with Jason Award, David Bodie, Sergio Alcantara, you've got a lot of guys. They're in a sub-220 for the scene. Both the Romines as well, Patrick Wisdom. He's getting a home run every 11 at-bats. He's been in a little bit of a funk recently as well. So this is a spot in which I would think that with Hendricks, being a 14-game winner, but at the same time, those 14 wins, in my opinion, being built on sand a little bit with a 465 ERA, they'll probably be saying the San Francisco Giants as somewhere in the neighborhood of like a minus 150-ish favorite if it is something like Sammy Long, if it is Jose Quintana, and then with the wind blowing out a little bit, this is probably going to be a spot in which a 9.5 or lower I'm going to be taking a look at the over and a 10 or higher to the under, but a little bit of subject to change because we don't know the Giants. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 once we know a little bit more. 903-904 on the bank board. The Washington Nationals hit the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Steven Baralt is going to be going for the Buckos. Josiah Gray 
It's going to be going for the Nationals. At DraftKings, we see the Pirates at minus 130 and plus 110 on the Washington Nationals. 8.5 is your total. Over and under are both at minus 110. For Josiah Gray, last couple starts have been shaky to say the least, but ever since being acquired by the Nationals, I do like what I've seen out of him. He did wind up in his last two starts giving up a combined 12 runs. Prior to that, he had given up three runs or fewer in each out of his first five starts with the organization. Now, the deep ball is killing him. In 32 innings with the Washington Nationals, has given up nine homers. Good news is he's going up against a Pittsburgh Pirates team that has the fewest home runs out there in the National League and just overall in offense. Right around 3.7-ish runs per game. That is worse out there in baseball. Now, I will say Yoshi Satsugo. In about three and a half weeks with the program, he has been able to give Pittsburgh seven home runs, so he's doing a good job there. Brian Reynolds, he is hitting about a 300. He's been able to give this team 22 home runs. He's really the only guy because we've noticed that Gregory Palonco is a little bit injured. That's currently on the active roster with a double-digit amount of formers. Now, Ben Gamble, Jacob Stellings, Cabrian Ace, these guys are in between about a 240 to a 255, and I'm surprised that Wilmer Defoe isn't getting more run. It's hitting about a 275 because you've got Cole Tucker, Michael Perez, Kevin Newman, Kaye Tom, list goes on and on of guys in a 225 or lower. And for the Pirates, bullpen has actually been halfway decent for this team. David Bernard has right around a 2-2 ERA. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Chase and Shreve. Even a guy like a Chris Ryan is able to give you some innings. And for the Washington Nationals, Kyle Finnegan has been very good for this team. But then you've got Wander. I swear this guy sucks. And well, we call him Wander. I swear this guy sucks for a reason because his ERA is north of a 6. And you do have a pair of mashers when it comes to the lineup of the Washington Nationals. Josh Bell, Juan Soto. Both wound up entering into yesterday with 25 home runs for Soto. Entered into yesterday with a 449 on base. So yeah, he's certainly being able to get the job done for this bunch. When you take a look at the Washington Nationals, you do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up with the bat, but Luis Garcia starting to come around a little bit with that regard. You have been able to get a little bit of production out of someone like an Alcides Escobar as well. He's hitting a 280 along with Yadier Hernandez. So this is a bunch of which you've got quite a few guys doing a solid job. It'll be a reach base. Carter Keyboom, a 340 on base. Really, other than your main two in Bell and Soto. You don't have a lot of power, but I do think that this is a spot in which Steven Brault deserves to be a little bit of a favorite because you know his track record a little bit. Now, he himself wound up having a couple good starts before being lit up. You take a look at his last two starts. He has given up a combined 12 runs over the course of seven innings. Prior to that, in his first four starts of the year, he had really given up two runs or fewer in every one of them, though I will say for the Buckos as well. They are 0-6 whenever he starts, and if there is a little bit of a silver lining, it is in that these losses have mainly been because of the Pittsburgh Pirates offense because they have scored two runs or fewer in all but one of his starts. So I am setting this all at 8.2, so on that 8.5, I'd be taking a look at the under. I wound up setting the Nationals at plus 106, so if we're getting the plus 110 like we're seeing right now, going to be going with the Nats and going to be going under on that 8.5. 905, 906 on the betting board. We've got another undecided game. The Colorado Rockies hit the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies as Good old undecided is going to be on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Meanwhile, Udaban Motokez is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. Now with the Rockies, this team has been rocky on the road to save the least, but they have improved a little bit. This team began 6-33 and on the road this year, and that is unsightly awful. Ever since that start... It's not great, but 12 and 18 on the road isn't necessarily the world's worst thing. Actually, 12 and 17, so you've been able to get a little bit of something there. You take a look at this Colorado Rockies lineup, and they're just not the same as they are at home versus on the road. On the road, they're hitting as a collective about at 212. You're noticing it with something like a Trevor Story. Hits right around 300 at home. Hits at the Mendoza line on the road. CJ Crone, he's got 26 home runs so far this year. 18 of them have come at home. Now, he wound up having four home runs 
in the team's last road swing, so he seems to be picking it up a little bit with that regard. Jonathan Daza hits a whole heck of a lot better at home versus on the road. Same goes for Garrett Hampson, so you've got a lot of that going on. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a team that they are significantly better at home than they are on the road. The Phillies, 32 and 40 on the road, entered into yesterday, 39 and 28 at home. And you've got Bryce Harper doing an amazing job. Double-digit amount of homers ever since the beginning of the month of August, so he's been able to pick it up. 29 bombs in total. He's hitting above a 300. Gene Segura has been able to do a relatively solid job as well. He's hitting just below a three-air, but has been able to do a solid job will be able to reach base for this bunch. You need a little bit more of something out of Brad Miller, Andrew McCutcheon, D.D. Gregorius, entered into yesterday, hitting between a 220 and a 227, but for McCutcheon, more like a 340 on base, 24 home runs, not, not having Reese Hoskins has certainly hurt them, but even someone like Ronald Torres has been able to give you something. Rafael Marchen, he has seen a couple starts with JTV Muto being banged up. He's hitting about a 250 as well. Then you take a look at both of these bullpens there. The Rockies on the road. Their bullpen ERA is in the bottom three in all of the big leagues. So you've got a guy in Daniel Bardo has nearly a 10 ERA on the road and like a 3 ERA at home. So that's not great. Carlos Aceves has lit many a game on fire so far this year. And then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. And for Archie Bradley, he has been one of their more trustworthy guys so far this year. But ever since the beginning of the month of September, a 9 ERA. That is not great. Cam Bedrosian, someone that they're kicking the tires on. Ian Kennedy, north of a 4-5 ERA since coming over from the Texas Rangers as well. So certainly an interesting case with the Philadelphia Phillies. You gotta figure that this is going to be a complete and utter wholesale approach. Maybe you wind up giving Bailey Falter a couple innings and I'd be still setting the Phillies as a favorite, but probably not too sizable of one because with Odomon Marquez, throughout his career, he's actually been better on the road than he has been at home. It's been a little bit different this year. 537 road ERA, 316 home ERA, but you take a look at him in his 12 road starts so far this year and he's done a good job with command. Right around 2.7 walks per 9 innings. His strikeouts per 9 rate is right around 9.5. Opponents are hitting at 270 off of him, so that's an issue. He's only given up 8 home runs and 94 innings at Coors, but I've got to think that this is a spot in which if it is a wholesale Phillies bullpen, probably going to be going with them right around a minus 125-ish, and this will probably be a case in which I'd be taking a look at an over on an 8 or lower, and then an 8.5 higher. We'll be taking a look at the under, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed because, well, this is very much subject to change. 907, 908 on the banging board. The Miami Marlins hit the road to face off against the Atlanta Braves. Trevor Rogers is going to be going for the Marlins. Meanwhile, Ian Anderson is going for the Atlanta Braves. As of right now, the only place that has this up is DraftKings, and we're seeing the Braves at minus 240 and a plus 195 with the Miami Marlins. It is your total over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. I'm thinking that we wound up seeing a little bit of a stale number here or something because if I'm getting plus 195 with the Marlins, I'm taking it. I was pretty much willing to take anything above a plus 150. I do recognize that Trevor Rogers just came off the injured list, made his first start since July last Saturday, and looked very solid in it. Four and a third innings, wound up giving up two runs. His swing and miss stuff has been there all year long. He's getting more than 10 strikeouts per nine innings. Walks per nine, that is a little bit of an issue. He's given up a little bit more than three of them, but even on the road, he's actually been better than at home, which he typically don't find with these Miami Marlins pitchers. A 288 home ERA, 224 road ERA, and 11 road stars. He's given up four home runs in 61 and a third innings at opponents throwing a 213 off of him, so he's been great. Ian Anderson, ever since coming off the injured list, he has been relatively solid as well. He's made two starts, went 
eight and two thirds innings, giving up four runs. All four of those runs wound up coming at Coors Field. So I started to throw that to the side a little bit. When it comes to Ian Anderson, he's given up right around one home run per nine innings. Now his walks per nine rate is right around a 3.8, 3.9 ish as well. And he really doesn't have home and road splits. 358 home ERA, 364 road ERA in nine home starts has given up four home runs so far this year. So he's been able to be relatively solid. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins and this is a bunch in which they really do rely upon Aces Aguiar for much of their offense and he is currently out the fold. He's been able to give the team 22 home runs north of 90 RBI. You don't have a single guy in the lineup that entered into yesterday with more than 45 RBI. So that certainly is a little bit of an issue but Miguel Rojas is hitting a 275 for this team. Brian De La Cruz. He's hitting more like a 340. He's been a nice find. Now you've got Luan Diaz, Izan Diaz, Sandy Leon, few others hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 but Mangolia Sierra along with Jesus Sanchez, Jorge Alfaro, whenever he's out there, they're hitting between about a 232 to 240. And then you take a look at this Miami Marlins bullpen, and it has been pretty rock solid. Richard Blyer has been able to give you some good innings. Anthony Bender is someone that I do like. Stephen O'Kurt, he had a sub-2 ERA going into yesterday as well. And for the inliner race, they've been relatively big average. Tyler Manzik, ever since the beginning of the month of July, has right around 2 ERA. Richard Rodriguez has been able to give you a tad bit of something. Will Smith is certainly an up-and-down pitcher, but he seems to be starting to refine it a little bit after he wound up gas-canning a couple games. Towards the early summer months here in September, he's been a little bit better, so you've got that going on. And then with the Atlanta Braves, what else you've got going on is a whole lot of offense with this team, as you've got all these guys who have been able to provide for you at least 22 home runs so far this year. Ode Soler, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall, Dansby Swanson. And the only of these guys with fewer than 26 home runs, that'd be Soler. And ever since the beginning of the month of July, he's belted out 15 bombs. You've got a pair of guys from Freeman and Riley hitting above a 290 for this bunch. The catcher spot has been in flux because of the injury to Travis Arano, but certainly I do think that the inliner race should be a little bit of a favorite and when it comes to this total, I do think that Trevor Rogers is actually going to be able to do a solid job in this spot. I did wind up saying this all at 7.8 just because, well, the Marlins' ineptitude on offense, especially with the injury to Aguiar, certainly hurting them. So I would be taking a look at this 8-under. I would need a 7.5 to even consider the over. And with the Marlins, I'm willing to take them with a plus price of anything north of a plus 150. So if what we're seeing at DraftKings is true, going to be going Marlins along this total under. 909-910 on the betting board. You've got the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati. And they're in the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. John Lesser is going to be going for the cards. Tyler Molly is going to be on the bump for the Red Legs. The Reds are finding themselves as favorites in this spot against Mr. Lester. Anywhere between a minus 132 and a minus 140. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the plus price with the cards, it's anywhere between plus 118 and plus 126. In F is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is between even and minus 110. And when it comes to Mr. Lester, he's actually looked very solid, giving up one run or fewer in three out of his last five starts, which is a far cry from what he was doing with the Washington Nationals when he had right around a 5-5-ish ERA and it was not going well for him in general and it's still not going great for him as his home runs per nine rate, that's right around a 1.5. His walks per nine, that has been hovering right around a 3.8. And then you take a look at Tyler Molly, and this guy has been completely different home to road. At home, you want no part of Tyler Molly because he's got a home ERA of a 609, 4 and 3 record, but in 13 starts, he's allowed 18 home runs and 68 innings at home. For Molly on the road, 
four home runs given up in 85 and a third innings. An opponent's throwing a buck 90 off of him away from Cincinnati. Meanwhile, 276 when he's in Cincinnati. This is a very demonstrative split. And then you take a look at the Reds still dealing with the injury to Jesse Winker. And Taylor Naquin has cooled down since he had like a 450 on base during the month of August. Seen a little bit of a dip there, but still, you've got Nick Cassianos. He's hitting about a 320. He's been able to go deep 27 times for this team. Jonathan India, 380 on base. He has been terrific at the leadoff spot with 19 home runs. You've been able to have Tucker Barnard along Tyler Stevenson, both at above a 265 at the catcher spot. Kyle Farmer, he's hitting about a 255 for this team. And then Joey Votto is right now leading the National League with regards to home runs ever since the All-Star break. He's got 29 in total so far this year. This after, he wound up having five home runs in the first two months of the season and 10 home runs in the first three. So he certainly has been able to pick it up there. And then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals. And you've got a lot of guys that they do a solid job of being able to reach base. They were able to crank out a very low-scoring win yesterday because this is a team that, like a roach, they just won't die in this post season race and this is obviously going to be a very big one for that second wild card you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals and you've got all these guys hitting between I would say about a 254 to right around a 270 Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado Dylan Carlson you're able to throw in there Yadier Molina as well all these guys doing a solid job and for Arenado he has been able to go deep 29 times so far this year. You've got Tyler O'Neill hitting a 275. He wound up getting home run for his 25th of the season yesterday. And Paul Goldschmidt, ever since the beginning of the month of July, he's hitting about a 340. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of bombs in that time span as well. And then when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, a big question for this team, Genesis Cabrera. What are you going to be able to get out of he along with Alex Reyes? Reyes is no longer the closer for this team. and wound up being used for two innings yesterday and for Cabrera. He's got right around a 6 ERA ever since the beginning of the month of July, but Luis Garcia was only used for five pitches yesterday. He has been lights out for this team. TJ McFarlane, unlikely that he's going to be able to come back. He's had a sub-2-5 ERA as well. Giovanni Gallegos has been able to give you a tad bit of something, so it's an interesting spot here because you do have a Reds bullpen that is obviously very shaky. Michael Givens and Luis Sessa have been able to get it a little bit of formidity. You've got Tony Santian. It's a little bit up and down. Brad Brock, ever since coming off the injured list, has not been great, but with this spot and with what Molly has been able to do on the road. I'm setting the Reds as a minus 144 favorite along with a total of 8.7. So, going to be taking a look at the Reds in this spot. Don't want to necessarily chance it on the run line, but we'll take the money line of them and I'm going to be taking this little over. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. DLA Dodgers are going to be playing those the San Diego Padres. Joe Musgrove is going to be going for the pods. We know all Udio Arias is on the bump for the Dodgers. The Dodgers find themselves anywhere between minus 155 and minus 170 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Padres, you're going to be getting them and between plus 144 and plus 152. It is your total. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And what is very interesting is that in the last 35 starts of Mr. Arias, this is both postseason and regular season, only eight have went under. So this is a man that has been very much an over pitcher. And then you take a look at Joe Musgrove, and I do think that you're going to be able to get quite a bit of something out of him. He has really been the most reliable guy for the San Diego Padres all year long. A 10-8 record with a 280-70 ERA. Strikeouts per nine rate that is hovering right around about a 10.3-ish. And you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road. It's not quite as good as at home, but still, 338 ERA. 
Giving up nine home runs over the course of 72 innings. And opponents are a 202 off of him. And his walks per nine rate whenever he is on the road. Hovering right around at 2.2 to 2.3. So he's been able to do a good job there. And for Mr. Julio Arias, he's not necessarily been as sharp at home as he has been on the road. Out of his 16 wins, which right now leads the major leagues, only four have come at home. 378 ERA at Dodger Stadium. He's given up nine home runs over the course of 64 and a third innings. And then you take a look at this Padres team, man. Certainly, this is a bunch in which they needed that spark that they were able to get a couple days ago against the LA Angels because this team going into that game, fewest runs per game in the National League since the beginning of the month of August. You've seen these bats really go cold, even though you've got a quadrant of guys sitting between about a 270 to a 280. Fernando Tatis Jr., Eric Cosmer, Manny Machado, Jay Cronenworth. In the case of Cronenworth, along with Manny Machado, both between 20 and 24 home runs. Both of these guys have right around a 350 on base. Fernando Tatis Jr., he has been special, 37 home runs. No question he's been able to do the job. And Adam Frazier, ever since he's come over to the Padres, he hasn't necessarily been himself. Selling a little bit above a 300 for the year, but He's only in a 235 with the Padres, so clearly he has not necessarily been able to deliver for the team. Jerickson Profar is able to get on base for you, but for the Padres, what I think is the biggest thing for this bunch is that the bullpen that entered into the month of August with the best ERA in the big leagues, it's just been used up a little bit too much, and Pierce Johnson has been able to do a good job. You've been able to get good innings out of guys like Craig Stammen, even a guy like a Nabel Chrisman has been able to do a good job, but you now have Drew Pomerantz on the injured list. These guys are just getting used and used and used. And Nelson Lamette is someone that they're now looking to for innings. So it's been a little bit of a hot mess. And for the Dodgers, they and the San Francisco Giants, ever since the All-Star break, wound up entering into yesterday tied for the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues. Now the Dodgers have really had to dive into their bullpen. They wound up giving Tony Gonsolin a three-inning start yesterday. So you wind up having to use up guys like Alex Vecchia. Well, it's like a 262 ERA, surprisingly. You wind up having to use up Corey Knable as well. But even someone like Phil Bickford has been able to do a good job for the team. He wound up being called upon yesterday, but Pursuit of Gradrall, he's starting to give the team a little bit of something. And then you just take a look at this LA Dodgers lineup, and night in and night out, you're going to find a lineup in which you might have one position player, and that's typically Cody Bellinger, with a batting average below a 250. I mean, you've got all these guys, Albert Pools, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, Matt Beattie, you're able to throw in their Mookie Betts, Will Smith, Justin Turner down for what, Trey Turner down for what, AJ Pollock, Corey Seager, all these guys doing a great job, and really all these guys have been able to give you a double-digit amount of homers so far this year, other than really Corey Seager. Even Albert Pujols has 12 bombs and is hitting a 256 ever since being acquired by the Dodgers. And then you take a look at the flip side, and with the Padres, it certainly has been rough sledding for them recently. I believe that they have lost 14 out of their last 20 games, so they are finding themselves in a horse apiece situation when it comes to the postseason chase, but with Julio Rios being not necessarily so reliable at Dodger Stadium, I do think that there is some value here with the Padres. I needed at least a plus 150 to take a shot, and we wound up getting there. And when it comes to this total, I mentioned it with Urias. He has played a lot of overs, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Taking the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Padres. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang board. The Toronto Blue Jays hit the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Robbie Bray is going to be on the bump for the Blue Jays. Blue Jays find themselves at minus 240 at DraftKings. Meanwhile, plus 185 is your price on the Baltimore Orioles. 10 is your total. Over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. Right now is a little bit of horse apiece situation as to whether or not you're actually going to be getting Ellis. I'm pretty sure that you are because he's actually been halfway decent in his three starts with the Baltimore Orioles. In his three starts, he has given up a combined four runs. He went three innings in his first start, four and two-thirds against the Blue Jays in his second start. That wound up being an L for the 
other team. And then he wound up pitching five scoreless innings against the New York Yankees. So he's actually looked halfway decent, giving up two home runs in his 16 and two-thirds innings so far this year. Someone that at the minor league level wasn't great, wasn't terrible. And he's going up against a guy in Robbie Ray that he's right now a Cy Young candidate. With Robbie Ray, this is a man that has given up two runs or fewer in all but one of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of July. So he has been lights out with that regard, giving up two runs or fewer in 11 out of his last 12. This is a guy that is just mowing him down right now. He and Garrett Cole are going to be in chase for that strikeout title. He's getting right around 11 or so strikeouts per nine innings. And the home runs have really fallen as well. He's overall for the year given up 25 home runs, but he has given up two home runs over the course of his last eight starts. So he has been able to rein it in with that regard. And the Blue Jays, obviously, they're going to be backing him up with a better bullpen than the poopy Baltimore Orioles. As you've got a Blue Jays team in which they are going to be a little bit spent with the bullpen because they aren't necessarily getting that day of rest. But at the same time, Tim Mazza has been able to give you a bit of something. Julian Merriweather just came off the injured list. Trevor Richards has been a little bit up and down, but Jordan Romano is giving you some good innings. And then with the Baltimore Orioles, Cole Sulzer has actually been halfway decent. He's got right around a three-ish ERA. And then from there, Tanner Scott, he's giving you right around about a four-ish ERA. Marcos Deplan has been okay, but Fernando Abad, he has been very bad as he's got a 675 ERA. And for the Baltimore Orioles, if you are looking for a saving grace with this team, it is that you do have a little bit of offense as you've got a trio of guys. Ray Boom Boom Mancini, Ryan Moncastle, Cedric Mullins, all have given you 21 plus home runs. You've got quite a few guys doing a solid job of being a reach base as Ori Mateo, Anthony Santander, Trey Boom Boom Mancini, Mountcastle, all these guys in between about a 242 to a 266. DJ turned it up Stewart though. Domingo Leba, Jumai Jones, Kelvin Gutierrez, Austin Wins. This goes on and on of guys hitting a 220 or lower, though Mullins hitting above a 300. And then you take a look at this Toronto Blue Jays lineup, and you've pretty much got the monsters up north for this team because they have been absolutely special with the bat. You've got Vlad Guerrero Jr., 41 home runs and a 320 batting average going into yesterday. Tasker Hernandez, Bobachet, both of these guys in between a 285 and a 295. Both of these guys, 21 plus home runs. Randall Kirchick has been in a little bit of slump recently. He still has 21 home runs, though. Marcus Simeon, 38 pounds. He's hitting at 270. Now they have been dealing with injuries all season long to George Springer, but whenever he's been out there, he's been able to provide a nice spark, and Alejandro Kirk hitting right around 280 for this bunch as well, so I do take a look at this, and I feel like the Blue Jays should be on the money line, like a 275-ish favorite, if you're looking at the run line. At DraftKings, I'm seeing that at minus 150. I'd be very comfortable taking this. I'm willing to lay it up to about a minus 165-ish, and when it comes to the total, if we are getting a 10 like we're seeing right now, I'll take it over. I'm willing to even take an 10.5 over 11 or higher, that's when I would start to look at the under. So, going to be looking Blue Jays run line along the over in the spot. 915-916 on the bang board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd is going to be going for the Tigres. And then our good friend Michael Waka, as I use my dying Pac-Man voice here. Waka, 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 waka. Going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays are finding themselves between minus 157 and minus 165. Favorites, meanwhile, with the Tigres. You're going to be getting them between plus 140 and plus 148. 9-9.5 is your total. On the 9.5, under is minus 120 and the over is even. On the 9, flip it. Over is minus 120 and the under is even. For Mr. Waka 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 Waka, it has not been good so far this year. As he has gotten north of a 5 ERA, he has pretty much been an innings eater for the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays always do a good job of being able to find arms and everything like that. 
that the one that they can't repair is Michael Waka. 1.9 home runs given up per nine innings. His walks have actually went down right around 2.4 walks per nine innings, but the problem is he's also going to be facing off against Matthew Boyd, who ever since coming off the injured list has not looked great. He's made two starts ever since the middle of June. He has given up seven runs over the course of eight innings and given up three home runs. He was really starting to turn himself around. First part of the season, he was giving up less than one home run per nine innings. It looks like the old Matthew Boyd is back and the old Matthew Boyd gives up bomb upon bomb upon bomb, which that is not necessarily what you want to see. Now with the Detroit Tigers, you have had quite a few guys be able to get on base for you. Jonathan Scope along Jamie Candelario, Hero Castro. Only between a 276 to a 286, and when it comes to Jamie Candelario, right around a 355 on base. Robbie Grossman has a comparable on base. He's been able to supply 22 home runs. Whenever Eric Haas has been out there, he's been able to give the team right around 20 home runs, but he has been on the shelf for quite a while, so Dustin Garneau has been getting a couple of at bats. He's been able to do an okay job of getting a base. He, Akil Badu, both hitting right around a 260 for this bunch. You've also had Victor Reyes be able to give you right around 245 batting average. You've got a couple guys like Nico Goodrum, Willie Castro, whenever he's out there, Zach Short. These guys have not necessarily been great, but by and large, you've been able to get the Tigers to do a solid job of getting on base. And for the Tigers, ever since the All-Star break, they've been in the top 10 with regards to bullpen ERA. You've been able to get some very good innings out of Kyle Funkhauser. That wasn't necessarily the case on Monday, but by and large, he's been able to do a solid job. Gregory Soto, Jose Cicerno, these guys are getting the job done. They are without Ian Kroll right now, but then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, and they just have a outclass in the bullpen. This is a team that they do a great job. You're able to get multiple innings out of Colin McHugh. You're able to get something out of J.G. Chargois, who's got right around one ERA since being acquired from the Seattle Mariners. Pete Fairbanks, J.P. Fireisen. They're fresh off the injured list. Andrew Kutcher has been solid. And then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays lineup and you've got a quartet of guys that have been able to give you at least 24 home runs so far this year. Austin Meadows is certainly one of them. He and Brandon Lau both hitting between about a 232 and 240 and yet they're on base percentages. They're both hovering in the neighborhood of about a 322 even as high as a 340 for Lau who's been able to give this team now 33 home runs. Even Nelson Cruz doing great things hitting about a 270. Mike Zanino, 29 Bombs, Randy Arozarena is hitting a 275, 355 on base. You've got this ridiculous, I believe it's out 37 game on base streak for Wanda Franco as well. Yanni Diaz is hitting a 255, but a 357 on base. So you've got a lot of guys that have been rock solid for this team. I take a look at this spot. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 160 with the Tampa Bay Rays on the money line. And if you're taking a look at the run line, because the Rays have been able to do a solid job with that regard, you're going to be finding it anywhere between about a minus 105 to a minus 110. I was willing to take this as long as I was laying a little bit less than a minus 115. I set this officially at a minus 112, so I'm willing to take the run line here of the Tampa Bay Rays. Did wind up saying this all at 9.2. I'm seeing mostly 9.5, so going to be taking the 9.5 under, and I'm going to be taking the run line of the Tampa Bay Rays. 9.17, on the main board. The Kansas City Royals hit the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Griffin Jacks is going to be going for the Twins. Daniel Lynch is going to be on the bump for the Royals. Seeing anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10 on this little on the 9.5, under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. And on the 10, over and under, both at minus 110. It was announced a little bit late that Mr. Jax and Daniel Lynch would be doing battle, so that's why we're seeing the range there. And for the Twins, and we're between plus 105 and plus 115 is the price. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Royals, you're going to be getting them between minus 125 and minus 135. And with Daniel Lynch, he's actually been relatively rock solid for the Kansas City Royals. The team is 5-1 and one in his last six starts. Then you take a look at what you've been able to get on the flip side for Mr. Jackson. He is beginning all sorts of jacked up at this point as 
for the Minnesota Twins are probably backing him with a little bit more stability in general, but with Jax, he's got an ERA that is hovering north of six right now, and the home runs have really been the undoing for him. You just take a look with him. He has made nine total starts, 13 total appearances, 17 home runs and 58 and a third innings. His walks per nine rate, that is hovering right in the neighborhood, about a 3.8-ish at home. He's been a little bit better on the road, but it doesn't make much of a difference. 716 road ERA, 631 home ERA. He's given up eight home runs in 25 and two-thirds innings at home, so that's not great. And then you take a look at what you've been able to get recently out of Daniel Lynch. His last start was not necessarily his best against the Chicago White Sox, giving up six runs in two and two-thirds innings. Prior to that, he had given up approximately one run in each out of his last three starts and had not given up a home run in any of them. Now, walks are an issue. He's given up at least three walks in each out of his last five starts, giving up four in one of those as well. But you also take a look at this Royals lineup, and it's pretty darn solid. Headlined by Salvador Perez, who's made with you 42 home runs. He and Whit Merrifield, both in between about a 275 to a 280. You've got Adelberto Mondesi and Nicky Lopez, both inning above a 290 for this bunch. You've got a couple guys like a Michael A. Taylor, Ansar Alberto. Andrew Benatendi hitting between about a 240 to a 260 as well. So you had a little bit of stability there. Carlos Santana seems to be picking it up a tad as well. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of the Minnesota Twins. And you do have quite a few guys that they just need to pick it up when it comes to the batting average. Ben Rotvet along with Max Kepler, Jake Cave, it looks like he's on the shelf for the rest of the season, but when he was out there, it wasn't good. Brent Rooker, Miguel Sano, all these guys in a 225 or lower throwing their Andrew Alton Simmons as well, though I will say for Sano, 25 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of July, right around a 340 on base, or a Polanco, 27 bombs, he's hitting a 280, Luis Arias is hitting above a 300 whenever you've had Rob Revsander out there. He's been solid, and Josh Allenson, 350 on base, 21 home runs there. You're able to get a little bit of something there, but with the Minnesota Twins, they wound up having a trot out there on late notice, Andrew Albers for a start. You don't necessarily want Andrew Albers getting starts for you. That is not necessarily the plan of attack there. And then you've got a bullpen that has not been great. Luke Farrell has come off the injured list and he's been solid all year long. Sub 2 ERA, but I don't know what to expect out of him moving forward. Ore Alcala, Alex Colome. These guys have been very rough. Ralph Garza has been able to give you a tad bit of something. And for the Royals, ever since the All-Star break, they're in the top 7 when it comes to bullpen ERA. You've been able to get some good innings out of Josh. Same out. Domingo Tapia is right around 2 ERA. Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, these guys have been relatively reliable. Now, Wade Davis, he's got an ERA that's right around a 6, but other than he, you've been able to get quite a few good innings. So, I do take a look at this spot, and I was willing to take the Kansas City Royals as long as I was able to get a relatively solid plus price here is a spot in which I'm going to wind up taking them because I was willing to take anything pretty much above a plus 110, so we're going to be taking a shot here on the Kansas City Royals. I did wind up setting the total a little bit north of 9 as well, so this is a spot in which at the 9.5 slash 10, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. At a 9, I'd be probably willing to entertain an over, but I like the way that Lynch is pitching, so taking the under along with the Royals. 919-920 on the bang board. The Houston Astros are going to be playing us to the LA Angels. Choi Otani is going to be home for the Angels. From Valdez is going to be on the bump for the Astros. This is a little bit surprising, but the Astros in a Shoei Otani start are anywhere between minus 177 and minus 190. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Angels is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 166. It is your total. Over is minus 115 and the under is minus 105. I recognize that the Astros should be a little bit of a favorite, but this just seems like overkill because I recognize that the LA Angels, second worst offense in the American League ever since the All-Star break. Things have certainly dried up for them, and they've dried up for Mr. Otani in the team's last 40 games. He's sitting right around the Mendoza line of 200, but Joey Otani is 9-1 with a sub-3 ERA, and he's done a great job of rating it in ever since the All-Star break. His walks per nine rate is right around one, so he has been absolutely spectacular. And for that matter, his overall ERA ever since the beginning of the month of 
July hovers right around two. He has been absolutely excellent for this team. You just take a look at it and he has given up two runs or fewer and now 10 out of his last 12 starts. So he has been able to do a good job of being able to lock in. He has given up a combined six home runs over the course of his last nine starts too. So he's not necessarily allowing the deep ball. He's going up against a guy in Fran Bervaldez that has been relatively rock solid. 308 ERA. His big thing is right around 3.8-ish walks per nine innings. Now, the Angels don't necessarily do the world's greatest job of BL draw walks and Feldes at home. 273 ERA, 4-1 record, giving up three home runs of 52 and two-thirds innings, 213 opponents batting average as well, which is what you like to see. And we know this with the Houston Astros. You've got a lot of guys that are doing a great job of both being able to get on base and be able to supply the boom. Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, combined 55 home runs so far this year. Both of these guys hitting between about a 272-280. Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker, both of these guys between 22 and 24 home runs. Both of these guys hitting between a 280 to a 290. Yuli Gurriel hitting a 312. Michael Brantley hitting a 350. Alex Bregman, he's got a 370 on base. He's been able to pick it up ever since coming off the injured list. So, you've got a lot of firepower there. And with the Astros, you do have a little bit of better bullpen. Yimi Garcia's coming and done a solid job. I also do like what you've been able to get out of Kendall Graveman recently as well. Ryan Presley's been able to do the job. Now, Brooks Raley, not necessarily so great. And for the Angels, they do have a shutdown closer of their own. That would be Mr. Rossiel Iglesias. I do like what I'm seeing out of Andrew Wants as well. Young guy's been able to come in. He's been able to give you some good innings out of the bullpen. Steve Ciszek has been relatively solid as well. And for the Angels, it just has been a case in which Otani has seen a little bit of a drying up when it comes to the bat. Jared Walsh has been in and out of the fold. He's only been able to give the team three home runs really since the All-Star break. Hitting a 270 side has been solid, but Max says he has seen a shrinkage in his batting average. Overall for the year, he's hitting a 260, but you take a look at what he's been able to do really since the beginning of the month of August, and he's hitting below the Mendel's line of 200 himself. Phil Gosselin, he's hitting about a 280, and same with David Fletcher, but Fletcher ever since the beginning of the month of August, hitting right around a 235 himself, so that is a little bit of an issue, but at the same time, getting Shoei Otani at this sort of a price, that is going to be a take all day for me. I was willing to take Shoei Otani as long as I was getting north of about a plus 135, and this is fine, in which I do think that we are going to be seeing a little bit of offense when it comes to the Angels because Valdez does wind up giving up quite a few walks at the solo 8.4, so going over along with the Angels. 921-922 on the big board. The Boston Red Sox hit the road to face off against the other Sox. The Chicago White Sox. Tanner Elk is going to be going for the Red Sox. Meanwhile, you've got Carlos Rodon going for the White Sox. Currently, I'm only seeing a line at DraftKings, and that line has the White Sox at minus 155, plus 135 on the Boston Red Sox, and a total of 8. With the 8, the over is minus 115, and the under is minus 105. I feel like Rodon should be closer to a minus 175, minus 180-ish favorite, and I do recognize that he's sort of been in and out of the fold a little bit. Last year, wound up coming about 10 days ago, but this guy has been rock solid all year long, and it doesn't matter whether it's at home or on the road. He has been able to get it done. 252 home ERA, 232 road and nine home starts has given up three home runs and 13 walks in 53 and two-thirds innings. And opponents are getting a buck 79 off of him. So there's no fear with him. And with Tanner Elk, he deserves much better than the 0-3 record that he's got. 326 ERA has allowed three runs or fewer when it comes to earned runs in every one of his starts so far this year. He did wind up having a start in which there were a couple unearned runs that wound up hurting him a little bit, but he's also done an absolutely tremendous job of being able to keep the ball in the yard as well, which is not difficult for a young guy. He has, in his 10 starts, 12 overall appearances, given up three home runs across 49 and two-thirds innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road, and he's got a 338 road ERA compared to a 321 home ERA, but opponents are just a buck 75 off of him. His walks per nine rate on the road has been a little bit too high, and it's been a small sample size, but but he's been able to do a relatively solid job as well. And you take a look at the Boston Red Sox lineup, and they have been without Xander Bogarts for quite a while. Looks like they're finally going to be starting to get back some of these guys 
into the bullpen, what have you, off of the COVID-19 list. But you've got to assume that a few of these guys are going to be out as well. Someone like a Matt Barnes, you want to wait to see his status along there because of Sotomora. I'm going to be taking it as if they are going to be out. And even if they do wind up coming back, it's going to take them a little bit of time to be able to reacclimate themselves. Ansel Robles, ever since coming over from the Angels, he's got right around a 60 RA. Michael Feliz, he is more like Mr. Frown. Feliz in Spanish actually means smile or happy, something like that. And he has not been able to provide that because his ERA is very, very bad. But Edamon Avino has been relatively solid for this team. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of the White Sox. And you've got Liam Hendricks along with Craig Kimbrell. Both of these guys are able to lock it down. And for the White Sox, they did wind up playing some of their we shall call lesser guys in the lineup yesterday, but we should expect the guys that we all know and love in this one. Luis Robert is hitting above a 330. Jose Abreu wound up entering into the game yesterday, tied for the league lead at RBI. He was able to give the team 10 home runs in the month of August. He's been able to heat up. He's hitting about a 265. Yo Mancada is hitting about a 265, 372 on base. He has Bonnie Grandel, 420 on base, just a 233 batting average, but he's been able to do a good job of going deep for the team. Lori Garcia is hitting at 260. So I do like what you're able to get out of them, and I do think that this is a spot in which Hulk deserves a little bit of credit, but if you're giving me a minus 155 here with the White Sox, I'll probably wind up taking a look at a run line, and with that run line that we're seeing at DraftKings right now, that is at plus 130. I would certainly be willing to take that if it is indeed Mr. Carlos Rodon versus Sander Hulk, as I wound up setting this run line as pretty much any plus price being a take for me on the White Sox in this spot. And I did wind up saying this whole 8.6 as well because I do think that both of these offenses do have quite a bit of firepower. So, going to be taking a look at an 8 over. I would even take a look at an 8.5 over and we would be taking a look at the White Sox in this spot. 923, 924 is a near post as the Walker Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Paul Blackburn is going to be going for the A's. Meanwhile, Glenn Otto is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. In half is your total. Over is any work between minus 105 and minus 115. The under is any work between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're taking a look at the A's, you're going to be getting them between minus 165 and minus 180. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Rangers. Any work between plus 144 and plus 161. We have seen it with Mr. Otto. He's made two starts and he's looked very solid. At the minor league level, he posted up a 320 ERA overall. Was given up right around .6 home runs per nine innings and 12.6 punch outs per nine. He has duplicated that here in the major leagues. He was one of the cornerstone pieces of that Joey Gallo trade. And so far, so good for him. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Oakland A's and they've been able to get a little bit of something out of Paul Blackburn. From 2018 to 2020, across, I think it was nine starts and 12 total appearances, he had a north of 80 ERA as they were in it. And his two home starts so far this year has given up two runs over the course of... 10 and two-thirds innings. Those came against the Seattle Mariners and the New York Yankees, so he certainly was able to do his part there. Now, he did wind up giving up three home runs to the Toronto Blue Jays as he wound up getting a little bit tattooed there, but he's also given up a combined one walk in his last three starts as well, so the command is there, and the good news is, though the Rangers have been able to get a little bit hot, winning four straight road games after, prior to this four-game win streak, they were the worst team with regards to win percentage on the road. Well, they still are generating the fewest runs per game ever since the All-Star break at 3.5, and he got a lot of dead bats in this lineup. You've got all these guys hitting about a 220 or lower. You've got in there Jason Martin. You're able to throw on there Leo D. Tavares, DJ Peters. He's currently on the injured list. Brock Holt. You're able to chuck in there someone like a Jonah Heim as well. Whenever Eli White has been in there, he has been a hot mess himself. And you've really got one guy that's able to match for this team. Adolis Garcia. He's been able to give the team 29 home runs. The power has been up and down, but he certainly has been able to get the job done. You've got Nate Lowe's hitting about a 260. 
Solak is hitting more like a 240, and Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa has been able to do a decent job of being a reach base. He's hitting about a 260, but this is a Rangers lineup that they don't hit lefties well, they don't hit righties well. It's just been rough for them. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Oakland A's, and you've got quite a few guys that are able to do a good job of being a reach base, and it's all headlined by the fact that Matt Olson has been able to give this team 32 home runs so far this year. He, along with Mark Canna, Tony Kemp, Josh Harrison, along with the Marte Parte of Starling Marte. All these guys have been able to give you north of a 350 on base with Marte. He's right now leading the league in stolen bases with 44. And Matt Chapman has really been able to pick it up as well. Overall for the year, he's sitting right around 222, but he has really been able to do a great job with power ever since the beginning of the month of August. He's been able to slug out 11 home runs. His on-base percentage in this time span has been more around a 360, so give him some credit. Judd Lowry's hitting about a 250 for this bunch, and for the Oakland A's, bullpen is starting to regress a little bit. Lou Trevino has been just unsightly bad over the last 21 days with like a 9 ERA, but you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Sergio Romo. Romo, ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's got right around a 2-5-ish ERA. Andrew Chafin, Jake Diekman, these guys have been solid. And for the Texas Rangers, their bullpen is starting to put it together a little bit as well. Spencer Penn, Brett Martin, these guys have been able to give you some good innings. Gerald Cotton, Demarcus Evans, these guys not so much, but Joe Barlow has a sub-2 ERA as well, so you've been able to get some signs of brightness there when it comes to the Rangers. I needed at least a plus 155 to be able to take a shot on them. It appears as though we have barely gotten there, so we're going to be taking that. And when it comes to this total, it is a New York Post play today because I wound up saying this all I ate. I'm right now seeing solid eight naps across the board, so we're going to be diving under with the New York Post play today in this game, and I'm going to be taking the plus price with the Rangers. 925-926 on the bang board. The Milwaukee Bears hit the road to face off against the Cleveland Indians. Eli Morgan is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, Adrian, don't call me Dookie Houser, is going to be on the bump for the Milwaukee Bears. Bears between minus 145, minus 155 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Cleveland, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 143 with your total at 9.5 over and under are both at minus 110. And for Adrian Hauser, he wanted throwing the first complete game shutout for the Milwaukee Brewers in his last start since... Kyle Loesch in 2014. That is an absolutely insane stat, but he's also backed up by one of the best bullpens in the big leagues as well. Devin Williams, Josh Hader, these guys all wind up getting a day of rest. Brad Boxberger wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it against the Philadelphia Phillies, but he has been solid. Hunter Strickland has been able to give you some good innings. And how about Jake Cousins, a sub-2 ERA for him? And then you've got a guy in Eli Morgan that has been able to do a much better job recently, but still, he has his tendencies to give up the deep ball. With Morgan, he has given up a combined six earned runs over the course of his last four starts, giving up two or fewer in three of them, but for the year. He has been giving up home runs at a rate of about 1.9-ish per nine innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do at home so far this year, and it's significantly worse than on the road. 753 home ERA, 331 road ERA, and eight home starts has given up 10 home runs over the course of 34 and two-thirds innings. He's only got one more walk, given up that home run, so that is very fascinating. An opponent's throwing a 303 off of him. And then when it comes to the lineup of the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got quite a few guys that are doing a solid job of being able to reach base for you. Luis Odias has been committing a lot of errors out there in the field, but he's got a 250 batting average. He's been able to slug out 19 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August. Christian Yelich is hitting in the neighborhood about a 300. He's got a 375 on base. Omar Nervais he's hitting a 360 with regards to his on base, hitting about a 280 overall. And then you've got Avisail Garcia, 25 home runs. Eduardo Escobar has 25 bombs himself between his time with the Diamondbacks along with the Milwaukee 
Milwaukee Brewers. Rowdy Tellez has been able to come in. He's been able to give you a little bit of something. And Daniel Vogelback wound up having the nice walk-off Grand Slam a couple days ago as well. So these guys have been able to do their job when it comes to offense. And then for the Cleveland Indians, you've got two really good matchers for this team. Fran Mayo Reyes along with Jose Ramirez. Ramirez and Reyes, they combined 59 home runs going into the game yesterday. These two guys along with Harold Ramirez, only between a 255 to a 265. Miles Straw's hitting a 270 for the team amid Rosario ever since the beginning of the month of July. Being well above a 300, he's been able to hit about a 290 overall for the year now. You need a little bit more out of the bottom of the lineup. Oscar Mercado, Bobby Bradley, Austin Edges, Owen Miller, Yu Chang, they're all hitting a 230 or lower, but for the Cleveland Indians, the bullpen has been relatively solid as well. Emmanuel Classe has been able to come in, and he's been able to give you some very good innings, a sub-2 ERA overall this season. You've even got someone like Brian Shaw, who I think has been able to do a relatively solid job all year long for this team. And then you've even got a few other guys, like when he was out there in Nick Samlin, who have been able to do a solid job. He is currently on the injured list, and James Karinczak being on the injured list certainly doesn't necessarily hurt them, because you notice that he just was not able to get the job done when he was out there for the scene, but I do take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, and I do think that they should be a relatively sizable favorite. I want to send them at a minus 158. Also want to make this whole 9.3 because of the trials and tribulations, to say the least, we've seen with Mr. Morgan. So this is a spot in which at the 9.5, I'll be taking a look at the under and with the Brewers. I'm going to be looking at them in some form or capacity because the run line right now that you're finding with the Brewers is anywhere between even money and plus 105 to be able to take a Brewers run line. I was willing to take it as long as I was able to get pretty much any plus price. So going to most likely take the run line at plus 105 to go along with this little under. 927, 928 on the bang board. The New York Yankees at the road to face off against the New York Metropolitans. Tyler McGill is going to be going for the Mets. Meanwhile, Jordan Montgomery is going to be on the bump for the New York Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as favorites in the spot of minus 115. And then you're finding the Mets at minus 105. It was looking like it was going to be Taiwan Walker a little bit earlier. So the switcheroo has caused for not many books to have this up. But currently at DraftKings, we're seeing the total at 8. The under is minus 115 and the over is minus 105. I actually think that McGill is not necessarily much of a downgrade from Taiwan Walker because Taiwan Walker, ever since the All-Star break, he's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. And then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Mr. McGill, and it certainly has not been great ever since he wound up having an absolutely tremendous start, at which he wound up having a five-star streak and starts two through six for him for the season, which he wound up giving up one run or fewer in every one of them. Things have dried up a little bit, but still not bad. He has been giving up the deep ball much more recently, giving up a combined eight home runs over his last three starts. Check that, seven home runs, but still has been able to do a relatively solid job there. He's not necessarily walking, guys. His walks per nine rate is hovering right around 2.3, and you take a look at what he's been able to do at home. Tab it better than on the road. 441 roadie area, 403 home area. Has given up eight home runs in 38 innings at home, but opponents are at 233 off of him. He's been able to get some swallowed swings and misses. And then for Jordan Montgomery, he had a very rocky start on the road to begin the year. He's actually looked almost as good on the road as he has at home overall for the year. 14 road starts, 365 ERA. Giving up 8 home runs in 74 innings. Opponents starting at 243 off of him. He's given up 3 runs or fewer in 6 out of his last 8 road starts as well. So that has been very beneficial. And then this is a New York Yankees bunch in which you do have a trio of guys in the middle that have been able to give you at least 26 home runs so far this year. Joey Gallo, Giancarlo San, along with Aaron Judge. You've got Gary Sanchez with 20 home runs, but... Joey Gallo as well, unfortunately. Brett Gardner, Kyle Agashioka, Rudnett Odor, quite a few guys hitting a 220 or lower for the scene, but Gio Rochelle is back. 
Gio Rochella, along with Labor Torres and Anthony Rizzo. I'm between about a 250 to a 260. DJ LeMayu is able to give you a tad bit of something as well. And for the Yankees, I think the big thing with this team is that the bullpen has been inconsistent ever since Jonathan Luizaga has went on the injured list. And for Roldis Chapman, going into the game yesterday, in his last 23 and two-thirds innings, 24 walks issued and seven home runs. That dates back to, I believe, June 10th. So he certainly has not been great for this team, to say the least. But you have been able to get a little bit of something out of guys like Lucas Lutke, who has been a little bit of an unsung hero for this bunch. Even Wandy Peralta and Jolie Rodriguez have been able to step up. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Mets. And they've been very steady with the bullpen. Aaron Lupe has been able to give you some very good innings. I do like what I'm seeing out of Miguel Castro. has been a little bit up and down so far this year along Trevor May, but these guys have been able to come in and they've been able to do their job. And then when it comes to the New York Mets, this is a bunch in which you've got two guys that are able to take you deep. Pete Alonso along with Javi Baez entered in yesterday with a combined 60 home runs. These two guys have been hitting between about a 250 to a 270. And then you've got a guy in J.D. Davis hitting a 300 as well, having Brandon Nimmo on the injured list hurts because you've not been able to get a lot out of Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, and Kevin Pillar. All these guys between a 220 to a 230 batting average and all between 12 and 14 home runs. So they've been equally disappointing. Don Smith is hitting about a 250 for this bunch. So certainly a little bit of a tough situation when it comes to this game. I was willing to set the Yankees as more around a minus 120-ish favorite. So until we reach a minus 120 point, I'm going to be taking a look at the Yankees. Also wind up saying this all 8.6. So if the 8 that we're seeing right now holds, going to be taking a look at the over, even would likely take an over and an 8.5 and, and looking at the Yankees up to about a minus 120 and we wrap things up 9.29-9.30 on the bang board. The Arizona Diamondbacks hit the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. One Marco Gonzalez is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, you've got Mad Bum, Madison Baumgartner. Goes for the Diamondbacks who are finding themselves anywhere between plus 135 and plus 140. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Mariners, you're going to be getting them anywhere between minus 155 and minus 160. 8 to 8.5 is your total on the 8. Over and under both are at minus 110 on the 8.5. Under is minus 115 and the over is minus 105 for Madison Baumgartner. After coming off the injured list, he wound up having a very good run of things and... Well, in his last few starts, things have wound up drying up, giving up at least four runs in each out of his last three starts. He had done a good job being able to have an initial nice run as he wound up having two runs or fewer given up with regards to earned runs because there were a couple unearned runs in one of his starts that wound up hurting him in seven straight starts. Ever since then, he's been getting a little bit tattooed, giving up combined four home runs in his last three starts as well, two of which wound up coming in his last start against the Seattle Mariners in which he wound up giving up five runs in six innings at home. So that is not necessarily too terrific. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of the Seattle Mariners team. And well, the batting average of this team is not necessarily too terrific, but you've been able to have Mitch Haniger and Kyle Seager both provide over 30 home runs for you. So these two guys have been relatively reliable. J.P. Crawford has been able to do a nice job for this bunch as well. He's hitting right in the neighborhood of a 270. And then you got Ty France, who's been able to hit a 290. But really past that, you've got a lot of slugs in the lineup. A bunch of guys, they're in a 225 or lower. Or a Mama Lois. You're able to throw in there Jared Kelnick for sure, though. He has been able to pick it up a little bit more. As I mentioned with Kyle Seager, he's got a bunch of homers, but at the same time, he has been hitting right around 213 himself. Tom Murphy, Shed Long, you're able to throw in there even someone like a Dylan Moore as well. All these guys, they're hitting a 215 or lower. Then you take a look at the years on the Diamondbacks, and you've just got flat out nothing with this team. You don't have a single guy in the roster with north of 12 home runs so far this year. Josh Rojas has been able to hit 270 along with David Peralta and Pavitt Smith hitting between 
about a 262, 270 as well. Quito Marte of the Marte Parte, Carson Kelly, both with between 10 and 11 home runs, and Marte has a 330 batting average, which helps you out. Dalton Varsho, Christian Walker, both are in between a 230 to 235 to be able to lend a little bit of something as well. But you take a look at Mr. Gonzalez, and this guy has really been lights out for this team recently, aside from, ironically enough, his last start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, in which he winds up giving up five runs over the course of five innings. He had given up seven earned runs across six starts in the month of August, and he wound up in a grand total of 40 innings, wound up giving up in the month of August just six walks as well. So his walks per nine rate for that month was right around a 1.3, posted up a buck 58 ERA. And this is a man that has now given up three earned runs or fewer in now eight out of his last nine starts. So he certainly has been able to get the job done there. And this is a Seattle Mariners bullpen that is very solid and a Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen that is using a bunch of failed stars like a Jake Feria, like Matt Peacock, Taylor Widener, list goes on and on. Not going well for them. Brett DeGuys has right around a 7-year-I. And then for the Seattle Mariners, Paul Seawald hasn't necessarily been as reliable for the team recently, but Casey Sadler, Drew Seconrider, pair of guys that will be absolutely amazing with Sadler. A sub-1 ERA for this bunch. You've got Yohan Ramirez who's been able to rein it in a little bit as well. So I do take a look at this, and with the way that Marco Gonzalez and Madison Baumgartner wanted pitching in their last start, it is a little bit concerning, but at the same time, I did wind up making this total in an 8.8, so barely over the total at an 8.5, and when it comes to Mariners, I think that they should be a giant favorite. I think that we're seeing a big, giant regression. When it comes to Madison Bumgarner, I'm seeing the plus price at DraftKings on the run line in this one at a plus 130 for the Seattle Mariners was willing to lay up to about a minus 180 on the money line, so I'm going to take that run line of the Mariners and I'm going to be taking this total over and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Friday. A big thanks to Tony Bedock of 620 WTMJ for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. You're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you've heard this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to listen. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Amy does not matter, so as per usual, please do send those into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the comments box of that five-star review. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.